Chapters 44 and 45 of Problems in American Democracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Problems in American Democracy by Times Williamson. Chapter 44 The Federal Courts. Part A framework of the federal courts 561 constitutional basis of the federal judiciary the federal constitution makes only slight reference to the structure of the federal courts it merely provides that the judicial power of the united states shall be vested in one supreme court and in such inferior courts as congress may from time to time ordain and establish in accordance with this provision, Congress, in 1789, passed the Judiciary Act, which still forms the basis of our federal judicial system. The Judiciary Act provided for the organization of the Supreme Court and also created a system of circuit and district courts. It likewise distributed federal jurisdiction among the three grades of courts, established the Office of Attorney General, and provided for a federal marshal in each judicial district. In order to relieve the Supreme Court of part of its appellate jurisdiction, Congress, in 1891, created nine circuit courts of appeals. In 1912, Congress abolished the circuit courts which had been established by the Act of 1789. At the present time, thus, there are three grades of federal courts, the Supreme Court, nine circuit courts of appeals, and 81 district courts. In addition, there are several special federal courts. 562. Federal Judicial Agents All federal judges are appointed by the President, subject to confirmation by the Senate. They hold office for life or during good behavior. Since federal judges can be removed from office only by impeachment, they are relatively independent, both of the appointing power and of the popular will. Judges receive salaries which may be increased, but which cannot be diminished during their term of office. Each of the eight associate judges of the Supreme Court receives an annual salary of $14,500, while the Chief Justice receives $14,900 a year. Circuit judges receive a salary of $7,000 a year. Each district court judge receives $6,000 a year. Upon reaching the age of 70 years, any federal judge who has held his commission for at least 10 years may resign and continue to draw full salary during the remainder of his life. Some additional judicial agents may be mentioned. In each federal judicial district, there is a United States Marshal, who is charged with the duty of enforcing the orders of the court. There is also, in each district, a federal prosecutor, who has the title of United States District Attorney. It is this officer who institutes proceedings against persons violating federal law. Both marshals and district attorneys work under the direction of the Attorney General of the United States. 563. The Supreme Court. At the head of the federal judicial system stands the Supreme Court. This tribunal holds its annual sessions at Washington, D.C., usually from October until May. 
By far, the most important business coming before this court involves questions of constitutional law. Footnote. Jurisdiction over questions of constitutionality is a form of appellate jurisdiction. In addition, the Supreme Court has original jurisdiction in 1. Cases affecting diplomatic and consular offices and 2. Cases to which a state is a party. In practice, however, the original jurisdiction of the Supreme Court has been relatively unimportant. End of footnote. Cases involving questions of constitutionality are always brought up to the Supreme Court from either the lower federal courts or from the state courts. Cases of this kind are brought before the Supreme Court either on appeal or by writ of error. When a case is submitted to the Supreme Court, each justice makes an independent study of it, and a conference is then held in which the various sides of the question are discussed and a decision reached. The Chief Justice then requests one of his colleagues to prepare the opinion of the court, containing the conclusions reached by the majority. In important cases, the disagreeing minority prepares a dissenting opinion, setting forth their reasons for believing that the case should have been decided otherwise. This dissenting opinion does not, however, affect the validity of the decision reached by the majority of the justices. 564. The Circuit Court of Appeals The United States is divided into nine circuits, in each one of which a Circuit Court of Appeals exercises jurisdiction. The Circuit Court consists of three judges. As a general proposition, this court has appellate jurisdiction to review the decisions of the district courts, but in some instances, cases may be taken from the district courts directly to the Supreme Court of the United States. In cases in which jurisdiction results from the fact that the suit is one between an American citizen and an alien, or between citizens of different states in the Union, the decision of the Circuit Court of Appeals is generally final. The jurisdiction of this court is also final in all cases arising under the revenue, patent, and copyright laws of the United States. 565. The District Court the lowest of the regular federal courts is the district court. One of these courts exists in each of the 81 districts into which the country is divided. For each district court, there is generally a separate district judge who holds court at one or more places within the district. The matters which may be brought before a federal district court are various. Among other things, the jurisdiction of the court extends to all crimes and offenses cognizable under the authority of the United States, cases arising under the internal revenue, postal and copyright laws, proceedings in bankruptcy, all suits proceeding arising under any law regulating immigration, and also all suits and proceedings arising under any law to protect trade and commerce against monopoly. 566. Special Federal Courts Besides the three sets of federal courts described above, Congress has, from time to time, created a number of special courts. The Court of Claims was created in 1855. It consists of five justices sitting at Washington and exercising jurisdiction over cases involving claims against the United States. In 1911, Congress created the Court of Customs Appeals, 
consisting of five judges who may review the decisions of the Board of General Appraisers with respect to the classification and taxation of imports. Congress has also provided a system of territorial courts to handle cases arising in the territories and in the District of Columbia. Courts martial for the trial of military and naval offenses have also been provided for by congressional statute. Part B. The Federal Courts in Action. 567. Jurisdiction of the Federal Courts. The Federal Courts exercise limited rather than general jurisdiction. That is to say, they have authority to try only such cases as are specifically placed within their jurisdiction by the Constitution or by Congressional statute. Cases falling within the jurisdiction of the federal courts may be grouped under two heads. First, cases affecting certain parties or persons, and second, cases relative to certain matters. Under the first head may be grouped cases affecting ambassadors, other diplomatic representatives, and consuls. In the same group are controversies to which the United States is a party, controversies between two or more states, controversies between a state and the citizen of another state, controversies between citizens of different states, and controversies between a state or the citizens thereof and foreign states, citizens or subjects thereof. Under the second head fall three types of cases. First, controversies between citizens of the same state claiming lands under grants of different states. Second, cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction. And third, cases in law or equity arising under the Constitution or laws of the United States or treaties made under their authority. 568. The Writ of Habeas Corpus. In the exercise of their judicial functions, the federal courts may have the power of issuing three great writs affecting the rights of citizens. Of these, the most famous is the writ of habeas corpus. This writ is designed to secure any imprisoned person to the right to have an immediate preliminary hearing for the purpose of discovering the reason for his detention. Where the writ is properly issued, the prisoner is brought into court for a summary examination. If it is found that he has been detained in violation of law, he is released. If not, he is remanded for trial. Federal judges may not issue writs of habeas corpus indiscriminately. A writ can only be issued in the following cases. First, when a prisoner is in jail under federal custody or authority. Second, when an individual is in jail for some act done or admitted in pursuance of a law of the United States or the order, process, or decree of some federal court or judge. Third, when an individual has been detained because of violation of the Constitution or some law or treaty of the United States. And fourth, when a citizen of a foreign country claims to be imprisoned for some act committed with the sanction of his government. 569. The Writ of Mandamus. The Writ of Mandamus may be used against public officials, private persons, and corporations for the purpose of forcing them to perform some duty required of them by law. Properly used, the Writ of Mandamus is called into action to compel executive officers to perform some administrative duty. 
The court will not intervene, however, where the duty is purely discretionary and its performance dependent either upon the pleasure of the official or upon his interpretation of the law. Usually, the applicant for a writ of mandamus must show that he has no other adequate legal remedy and that he has a clear legal right to have the action in question performed by the officer. 570. The Writ or Bill of Injunction This writ may be of several distinct types. It may take the form of a mandatory writ ordering some person or corporation to maintain a status quo by performing certain acts. For example, striking railway employees may be ordered to continue to perform their regular and customary duties while remaining in the service of their employer. The injunction may take the form of a temporary restraining order forbidding a party to alter the existing condition of things in question until the merits of the cases have been decided. This is often used in labor disputes. Sometimes the writ is in the form of a permanent injunction ordering a party not to perform some act, the results of which cannot be remedied by any proceeding in law. This, too, has often been used in labor and disputes. 571. Judicial Interpretation of the Statutes the crowning feature of the American judiciary is its power to pass upon the constitutionality of state and federal laws. The Constitution does not give to the courts the power to declare state or federal statutes invalid on the ground that they may conflict with the federal Constitution, but in the famous case of Marbury v. Madison in 1803, Chief Justice Marshall demonstrated that under the Constitution, the Supreme Court must possess the power of declaring statutes null and void when they conflict with the fundamental law of the land. In deciding against the validity of a law, the court does not officially annul it, but merely refuses to enforce the statute in the particular case before the court. Thereupon, the executive officials who might be charged with the administration of that particular law neglect to enforce it. 572. General Policy of the Federal Courts The federal courts have consistently refused to decide abstract questions not presented in the form of a concrete case between parties to an actual suit. The Supreme Court, for example, will take no notice of a statute until the question of its constitutionality arises in the form of a concrete case. The federal courts have consistently refused to interfere in purely political questions, the decision of which rests with executive or legislative authorities. For example, the court will not touch questions of the existence of war or peace, or the admission of a new state into the Union. In reaching a decision, two forces are brought to bear upon the courts. First, the character of the previous decisions in similar or analogous cases influences a decision. Second, important consideration is given the demands of justice or equity in the particular case in hand, regardless of precedent. Generally speaking, judicial decisions strike a course midway between these two extremes. End of chapter 44. Chapter 45. State and Local Government. Constitutional Basis of State Government. 573. Constitutional Limitations on State Governments. Under the Articles of Confederation, the states exercised practically sovereign powers, 
In the interests of a strong national government, the Constitution adopted in 1789 distinctly limited the scope of state government. The Federal Constitution transferred many important powers from the states to the federal government and imposed certain specific limitations upon state governments. The more important of these limitations are as follows. No state may, without the consent of Congress, lay or collect imposts or duties upon exports and imports. The single exception to this constitutional prohibition is that a state may lay such imports or duties as are absolutely necessary for executing its inspection laws. No state may lay a tonnage duty without the consent of Congress. No state may levy a tax on the property, lawful agencies, or instrumentalities of the federal government. This is not a constitutional limitation, but was deduced by Chief Justice Marshall from the nature of the federal system. In recent years, however, this doctrine has been modified to mean that no state may tax a federal instrumentality if such a tax would impair its efficiency in performing the function which it was designed to serve. States may legislate concerning local commercial matters, but no state may interfere with interstate commerce. No state may pass any law impairing the obligation of contracts. The states have practically no control over the monetary system. They may not coin money, emit bills of credit, or make anything but gold and silver coin legal tender. States may charter and regulate state banks, however, and may also authorize a state bank to issue notes for circulation. No state may make or enforce any law which abridges the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. No state shall pass any bill of attainder by which is meant a legislative act which inflicts punishment upon some person without ordinary judicial trial. Nor may any state pass an ex post facto law, that is to say, a law which imposes punishment for an act which was not legally punishable at the time when it was committed. Lastly, no state may deprive any citizen of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of law. 574. Powers of State Governments Federal law is the highest law of the land, and no state constitution, state statute, or local law or ordinance may contravene it. But beyond this restriction, the authority of the state is supreme. Just as state government must defer to federal authority, so local government is subservient to state authority. Just as the federal Supreme Court may declare unconstitutional any executive or legislative act, either of the national, state, or local authorities, so the Supreme Court of any state may declare null and void the acts of state or local authorities which conflict with its Constitution. Though they are limited by the federal Constitution in matters which are preeminently national, the states reserve to themselves a vast body of authority. Almost all of the ordinary activities of life are controlled by state or local governments rather than by the federal government. 575. Classification of State Constitutions According to Age Each of the 48 states in the Union has a written constitution. 
to bring out the fundamental similarities and differences among the various state constitutions, these documents may be classified in two ways. First, as to age, and second, in the light of democratic development. If state constitutions are classified on the basis of age, it will be noted that the constitutions of Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and other New England states show signs of having been strongly influenced by colonial precedents. Next come constitutions which, in form and general consent, stand midway between the earlier New England constitutions and those of more recent years. The constitutions of New York, 1894, Pennsylvania, 1873, Indiana, 1851, Wisconsin, 1848, Kentucky, 1891, Minnesota, 1857, and Iowa, 1857, are examples. Next come those constitutions of the southern states, which have been revised within the last quarter of a century. Finally, we may note that California, Oregon, Oklahoma, and a few other western states have recently drafted new constitutions in which there has been a more or less radical departure from the precedents set in the older commonwealths. 576. Classification of State Constitutions in the Light of Democratic Development Between 1776 and 1800, American state constitutions were generally brief and conservative. Between 1800 and 1860, the growing tendency toward democratic control resulted in the formation of state constitutions which were more and more liberal. During this period, fear of the masses was superseded by distrust of the executive and an unbounded faith in the people acting in their collective capacity. The suffrage was extended. The governor and often state judges came to be elected by direct vote, and the power of the state legislature was enlarged. After 1860, there was a reverse movement. This was due partly to a growing faith in the executive and partly to a reaction against the abuse of power by state legislatures. Particularly, the more recent state constitutions have limited the power of the state legislature, increased the power of the executive, provided for the centralization of the state administration, and shortened the ballot. The present tendency among state constitutions is to continue in the direction of the above-mentioned reforms. The Parts of a State Constitution 577. The Bill of Rights A vital part of a state constitution is the Bill of Rights, roughly corresponding to the first ten amendments to the federal constitution. Generally, the Bill of Rights affirms the principle of republican government, maintains that all powers are inherent in the people, and declares that all free government is formed by the authority of the people. A typical Bill of Rights also provides that the laws of the state shall not be suspended except by the Legislative Assembly, and includes the traditional limitations on behalf of private rights. These include the right of free speech, the right to jury trial, the free exercise of religious worship, the right to peaceably assemble and petition the government for redress of grievances, the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus, except in case of rebellion, invasion, or public danger, the prohibition of excessive bail and cruel and unusual punishments, and compensation for private property when taken for public use. 578. 
the framework of the government. A second part of a typical state constitution deals with the distribution of powers, the limitations upon state officials, and other elements in the framework of government. Especially in the more recent constitutions is the form of state government outlined in considerable detail. In addition to providing a system of checks and balances by separating the executive, legislative, and judicial powers of state government, this part of the Constitution defines and limits the suffrage, provides for the organization of state legislature, and prescribes the limitations under which the legislature must operate. The election of the governor and other important state officials is provided for, as is the relation of rural and municipal government to the state government. This part of the Constitution likewise creates the state judicial system, though the regulation of details with regard to jurisdiction, procedure, and appeals is generally left to the discretion of the state legislature. 579. State Finances a third division of a typical state constitution places a number of limitations upon the financial powers of the state legislature. These provisions are often detailed and complicated, and hence are difficult to summarize. Their general purpose, however, is to fix a debt limit beyond which the legislature cannot go, and to compel that body to make adequate provision for the payment of interest and principal in the case of debts which shall be incurred. 580. Control of Economic Interests The more recent state constitutions provide in considerable detail for the regulation of economic interests within the state. The activities of industrial organizations are often narrowly restricted. In many states, the Constitution provides for a corporation commission with large powers in the regulation of rates and charges as well as general supervision of corporate business. Many recent constitutions specify the conditions under which women and children may be employed in industrial establishments. 581. Provision for the General Welfare An increasingly important part of the state constitution deals with the general welfare. Such vital concerns as the public school system are dealt with. In a typical western state, for example, the Constitution requires the legislature to provide free instruction in the common schools of the state for all persons between the ages of 5 and 25. The same document sets aside certain revenues for educational purposes. The safeguarding of public health and detailed provision for the creation and maintenance of public institutions for the dependent defective, and delinquent classes are other concerns of this part of the state constitution. 582. Provision for Amendment In about two-thirds of the states, the constitution provides for its own amendment by a constitutional convention composed of delegates elected by the voters of the state. The convention method is universally employed when a new constitution is desired. Sometimes, the state constitution provides for the holding of such conventions at regular intervals, but generally, the initiative is left to the legislature. When, by vote or resolution, this body declares in favor of a convention, the proposition is placed before the voters. If a majority of these favor the project, the legislature arranges for the election of delegates, 
and fixes the time and place for the convention sessions. After the convention has completed its work, it is customary for the new constitution to be submitted to the people for approval. Another common way of amending the state constitution, found in every state except New Hampshire, is through legislative action subsequently ratified by popular vote. By this method, separate constitutional amendments may be adopted, without necessitating a wholesale revision of the Constitution. Such individual amendments are usually proposed by the legislature and are later submitted to popular vote. In some states, only a majority vote of the legislature is required for the proposal of amendments, but ordinarily a special majority of two-thirds or three-fourths of the members of each house is required. In a few states, amendments cannot be considered until they have been proposed by two successive legislatures. After the amendment has been proposed for the second time, it must be ratified at the polls. Within the last decade, several states, particularly in the West, have adopted a more direct method of amending the Constitution. This is through initiative and referendum. In Oregon, for example, 8% of the legal voters may petition for a proposed amendment to the Constitution. The proposal is then submitted to the voters, and if it receives a majority of all votes cast, it becomes part of the state Constitution. Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Michigan, Missouri, Nebraska, Nevada, North Dakota, and other states allow this type of constitutional amendment. End of chapter 45.